This month, our theme is vision, which, of course, can be understood in so many ways. With our water communion last week, we celebrated our vision of being a people of welcoming of one another and to the wider community. Next week, Preston Love Jr. will return to preach about his civil rights tour for teenagers. And that's a tour that we contributed to from uh, his Black Votes Matter initiative, which sponsored this trip, was our Share the Plate partner a few months ago. So part of completing that circle, Preston is going to be here to preach to that story of the tour and its vision and to tell us what the trip meant to the youth who journeyed. The trip was documented by videographers who are making a documentary about the trip. And throughout the trip, uh, the students were interviewed and asked many questions about what they thought about every single place that they visited. It was about a week-long journey to civil rights, uh, places of huge importance in the civil rights fight uh, throughout the South. In this congregation, we have our dream, our vision of becoming a multicultural, multi-generational religious community that is a place of profound meaning and spiritual growth for everyone, a religious community that works successfully and effectively to change the world. And then each of us, we all have our own dreams and visions for our own lives as well. So separately and together, we have dreams, we have plans, we have visions, yet what happens when we do not accomplish our plans? What happens when our visions do not come true as we hoped and expected, even when we've worked towards them? So what do we do as individuals and a community when that happens? I want to start with a story (laughs) that might be familiar to you, depending on your age. It's a cartoon story. It's the story of the desert dweller, Wiley Coyote. Wiley had a singular vision for his life. It was to capture and usually smush the roadrunner. Now, I'm not sure we were ever told why that was Wiley's vision. I'm not sure what he hoped to accomplish, but Wiley yearned for this vision, and he tried over and over and over again, and at least as long as I was watching these cartoons, he did not succeed. So we're going to watch a bit of his story, because we will see on a very particular day when something very special happened. Coyote had that moment of insight regarding his vision, a moment of questioning his vision, his expectation of what he really wanted to do, what he was trying to accomplish. Sadly, it was just a moment, though, and I can tell you that went on as usual to the usual end. So a lesson from Master Coyote is When your vision seems to betray you by not coming to pass, no matter how hard you try, the place to start is with questioning your vision, what it does for you, what it means to you, what it means for you, and even whether it is a good vision from a moral and ethical viewpoint, which we could certainly 
wonder about Coyote's vision. So to do this, to engage in that reflection, is awakening. And that's what Coyote had just a little teensy bit of on these occasional moments. And it's what David White wrote of in our meditation. He was writing about that sweet darkness, not the darkness of failure, but the sweet, abundant, and fruitful darkness where you can reflect, where you can question your vision, your dream of life, the who you are, the what in heaven's name are you doing. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. It's time to go into the night where the dark has eyes to recognize its own. John O'Donohue, the late Irish poet, author, and former Roman Catholic priest, speaks to what can come from our time in sweet darkness in his essay, The Question Holds the Lantern. He talks about how vital it is to awaken to who you are and where you have landed. Who am I and how did I get here? O'Donoghue writes of the spiritual work. Once you start to awaken, no one can ever claim you again for the old patterns. Now you realize how precious your time is here. You are no longer willing to squander your essence on undertakings that do not nourish your true self. Your patience grows thin with tired talk and dead language. You see through the rosters of expectation which promise you safety and the confirmation of your outer identity. Now you are impatient for growth, willing to put yourself in the direction of change, You want your work to become an expression of your gifts. You want your relationships to voyage beyond the pallid frontiers to where the danger of transformation dwells. You want your God to be wild and to call you to where your destiny awaits. In other words, as David White says, when you start to awaken, what you learn is that Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. And there's an important bit there in O'Donohue's writing. He said, as you reflect, you see through the rosters of expectation which promise you safety. The rosters of expectation. Let's see where those rosters of expectation lead us as we wonder... What can happen? What can we do when our vision fails? Teresa Shimogawa, who describes herself as a storyteller, feminist, and human being trying to do good things, writes about what happens when your vision, your life expectations, do not come to pass. And like most of us, she had her expectations of what her life was going to be. She had expectations of her entire life, her whole life, from beginning to end. She was going to have a good career, a loving partner, four children, no more, no less, a house together. Her adult children would come by every year, bringing their own children for family celebrations. 
And after a rich and long marriage, she expected that her husband would leave this world first, and then she would join a travel group for old women and see the world with them. <laughs> now, really, we all have life expectations, life visions like that in some form or fashion. They're often linear, the trend is often upward, with accomplishments and achievements and joys following one after another. And by the time she was 34, Teresa had attained much of her vision. She had a good career, a beautiful home, a loving partner, and three children with the fourth one planned. And then, one day when she was 34, Teresa became a widow at home before breakfast. And in all her intense grief over the overwhelming loss of her beloved partner, she experienced another kind of grief. The grief of the loss of the life she thought she was going to have. And whether that particular grief happens at 34 or 54 or 74, it's really a hard one. And Teresa chose wisely to go deeply into all of her grief and see where that led her. And certainly in some ways this was not a sweet darkness experience, but there definitely was awakening. And she writes, It's such a disappointing, embarrassing revelation when you realize you never actually had complete control. It feels like you were lied to. All those years you spent with your first world blinders on, thinking that you could plan every detail. It was cute while it lasted. Now it just felt stupid. I realized what expectations really were. Nothing. My expectations were never real. They were nothing more than thoughts in my head, assumptions, desires, never guarantees. My expectations had been a thing that I'd had to live with my entire life. I'd always had high expectations for myself. Failure was not supposed to be a thing. As a widow, I found myself floundering in a new reality where I felt like I was constantly failing, legitimately not capable of doing what I once could. It was impossible to get rid of the expectations completely. I'm only human. Besides, expectations do serve a purpose. They've helped me in life. They've also hurt me. The middle ground, I decided, was finding flexible expectations. I needed to be less attached to a prescribed way of living. So, okay, we've heard from some wise and creative folks that that rigid roster of expectations are visions of how life is supposed to be. Whether they come from within or without, they can pull us far astray. So, should we not even have dreams or visions? Why would we want to if all they do is trap us or betray us? 
Peter Senge, who is a systems scientist, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology really helps us out. He says, it's not what the vision is, it's what the vision does. In other words, rather than obsess about realizing my vision, I consider it as a force for change, a way of aligning myself with nature's unfolding. When you operate this way, what happens may not be exactly as you had imagined it in your vision, but what does happen would otherwise not have happened. You can hold a vision of the genuine perfection in some domain, and although you might never realize that vision, you might also achieve things you would never have been able to achieve otherwise. In this spirit, he writes, pursuing a vision is a way to live in harmony with your deeper intention. In this sense, vision is a tool for orienting our energies. But when we obsess about whether or not our exact vision is being achieved, we confuse the animating force behind our being with an idea created in our mind. So he said, pursuing a vision is a way to live in harmony with your deeper intention, and vision is a tool for orienting your energies. We saw this in the story of the Baal Shem Tov. He went to the forest and lighted a fire and prayed a special prayer when the Jewish people were in danger. Those rabbis who came after him ultimately didn't remember any of his process or weren't able to do it. But their deeper intention, their true vision, was to save their people. It wasn't about the proper clearing in the forest or the fire or even the prayer. It was the deeper intention that animated them that mattered. So our visions are tools for orienting our energies. Does doing this thing or that thing send our energies towards our deepest intentions, our true vision? Then do this thing. Do that thing. What animates you, what brings your spirit alive, is what matters. Not the expectations, the ideas we make up in our heads, the thoughts in our head, not those in and of themselves. Now all of this is true, not only for individuals, but for groups of people, including religious congregations. As you might remember, a while back, the prophet Pam Curtis Smith asked, why was it that this congregation doesn't do what we say we're going to do? As a side note, in the Hebrew and Christian Bibles, prophets are not people who predict the future. They are people who speak the deepest truth. Why was it that this congregation doesn't do what we said we were going to do? This congregation has struggled with that and sometimes gotten distracted by something that was not its collective deepest intention, and then got stuck. So reaching that beautiful dream, that vision of being a multicultural, multi-generational, vibrant congregation that changes the people in it and changes the world around it, that is a deep and beautiful intention. In the spirit of that vision, all kinds of energies can be harnessed to move us in that direction. 
like building gender-neutral, fully accessible bathrooms on this floor as a matter of justice, right over there. Like refinishing our parking lot so it is safe and attractive for all the feet and the paws and the wheels that cross it. Now, some of the things we might choose to do together may not obviously or even actually lead to our dream, but it is likely that we will learn and grow from them regardless what happens. So we can take some risks that don't pan out or do some experiments that we may not understand until years down the road as long as our highest values and our principles are our touchstones along with the deep and rich intentions of our shared vision of who we want to be together. So for your spiritual homework, I invite you to spend some time in the sweet darkness. Ask yourself Master Coyote's question, what in heaven's name am I doing? Let that be your question. Let that be your prayer. For our life together in this religious community, I close again with the words of Margaret Wheatley. There is no power greater than a community discovering what it really cares about. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. Keep asking. Notice what you care about. Assume that many others share your dreams, your vision. Be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you never talk to. That's part of why we're here. Be intrigued by the differences that you hear. Expect to be surprised. Treasure curiosity more than certainty. Invite in everybody who cares to work on what's possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions always come from new connections. Remember, you can't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people closer together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world. Rely on human goodness. Stay together. So may it be, blessed be.